0: Tonight, we're just cruising right along. Some of us are just so-so tonight in our relationships. And then, you know, some of us may be in a bad place in our marriage relationships this evening. I, I don't know. Some of us may be on the verge of throwing in the towel tonight. But for all of us, there is hope. There's hope as couples. Marriage is hard, but it's not hopeless, all right? A good marriage, a great marriage. It's not a fairy tale, not at all. God's Word shows us that a good marriage is possible. It's actually more than possible because God makes it possible. And so tonight we're going to see this, and we're going to see it as we go back to where this whole thing started, and that is in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your copy of the Bible, please read along with me. We're going to start in verse 18. If you don't have a copy, it's going to be up on the projector, all right? So chapter 2, Genesis verse 18. Then the Lord, Lord God said, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. (laughs) Marriage was made to be good. We just read the passage where marriage was made. It was made to be good. It is God's idea, (laughs) after all. want you to look at the passage that we just read. We're in Genesis 2. We started reading there at verse 18, and up to this point in Genesis, God has been kind of busy, okay? I mean, he's been very busy. He started with nothing, and what he does is that he turns nothing into a whole lot of something. In Genesis chapter 1, he just starts speaking things into existence. You want to talk about power, okay? Nothing into something at his word, And so what our God does is he creates for five days. He makes the earth. He makes the waters. He makes light. He makes heavens. He makes the dry land. He makes all kinds of plants. He he makes the stars, and then he makes the sun and the moon and the creatures of the sea, the birds of the air. He's been busy. He does all of this, and then day six happens. And on day six, he makes the animals that roam around and whatnot, but then he makes us. He makes people. And he does it a little bit differently. He makes us in his image, makes us after his likeness. Now, when we come to Genesis 2, what it does is it just kind of zooms in on the creation of man. And so by the time that we get to the passage that we just read, God has been making everything and he has been setting up his world to function exactly how he wants it to function. By verse 18, he's already made Adam in his image, but, but he's not done there's something else for him to do. He's going to make Eve, and then he's going to make marriage. He's going to ordain marriage, and what he's going to do is he's going to explain what he intends for marriage to be. See, marriage is God's idea. It is not our idea. People didn't think this thing up. It is not some institution that has evolved over the course of gazillions of years or whatever into what it is today. That is just not, the time, not what it is. It is God's idea. Now, some of you fellows in the room may be thinking, look, man, this was all her idea. <laughs> and there may be a whole lot of truth in that. I don't know. But God made marriage, okay? Marriage is his idea, and marriage is God's good idea. It's his good idea. We're not going to read Genesis chapter 1 right now, but, but if you have read it before or if you go home later and read it tonight, probably not because we're going to get out here about 9, or if you read it tomorrow during your quiet time, I don't know, if you, if you read it, what you notice is that after God makes something, what he does is he just kind of stands back and he admires it. He says it's good. You know, I've been painting a shed outside my house recently, and it's actually turned into a bear of a job. But every morning when I walk out of my house, I'm like, man, that shit looks good, okay? Now, when God makes something, he takes a moment to recognize what a good job that he did, okay? Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. God separates the land and the waters, verse 10, and God saw that it was good, God makes plants, verse 12, and God saw that it was good. He makes the stars, the sun, and the moon, and God saw that it was good. He makes the birds. He makes the sea life, and God saw that it was good. He makes the animals, verse 25, and God saw that it was good. It's a steady beat that runs through God's creation work. God makes its good. God makes its good. God makes its good. But... We get to Genesis two eighteen. God has made Adam, but there is no Eve, not yet. And look what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Say what? Now all of a sudden this pops up. Hold on a minute. Well, what just, what just happened? Everything has been good. And now all of a sudden God said something is not good. It is like cruising down the interstate doing about 70 or 75, however fast you drive, and hitting a speed bump. It's just a little bit jarring, isn't it? What's going on here? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. There it is. That is what is not good. And it's not that God has made something bad. He's he's just not, not done yet, right? It's not good that a man should be alone. Humans are not made to live in isolation. They are built by God to be in relationships. Humans are made for relationships. And so God's answer to this aloneness here that he says is not good is to create, not just another person, but here to create the deepest and most intimate human relationship that is possible. He creates Eve, and then he creates marriage. And after he creates marriage, and only after he creates marriage, does he step back and say that his work is very good. Very good. Marriage is a good thing. It is God's good thing. Marriage is God's solution to the only thing he said in his whole creation that was not good. Now, we do not always treat marriage like it's good. And our culture does not always treat marriage like it's good. Sometimes our culture tells us that marriage is kind of like a cage that we're getting trapped in. Our culture kind of tells us that marriage is, it places limitations on our freedom and that we're taking the plunge and that we're attaching ourselves to the old ball and chain or something like that, right? That's what our culture says. On the day that Laura and I got married, uh, my mom and dad, and my family, we were all staying in this one hotel together. And uh, my mom and dad got me this shirt um, it's a few, there it is, all right, my mom and dad got me this shirt, can you guys see the face on the dude, he's frowning, and the wife is happy, and it just says the end, okay, it's a funny shirt, I, uh, they gave it to me, it was a good laugh, uh, Laura thought it was actually funny herself, uh, and, and so there was no sin at all on the table, but you know, I tell you what, I don't wear that shirt anymore, I wore it one time, I wore it on my wedding day, ironically, but, uh, I just don't feel comfortable wearing it. Number one, because I, I love being married to my wife, and number two is that marriage is a good thing. It's God's good thing. And here's why marriage is good. The goodness is in the oneness, if you want to think about it that way. God says, I'm going to make Adam a helper, a helper that's fit for him. And what God does is very, very interesting because he doesn't just go ahead and make Eve, as you guys heard when we read that passage. God starts by marching all these animals in front of Adam to see what he would call them. And so here they all come, verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And yet the problem remains. All these creatures, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, Is God really presenting Adam with these animals as true, real options for him for a companion? No. No, I don't think so. God knows what he's doing. He's holding back. He's showing these things to Adam. He's showing him the lesser things to prepare for the big reveal that comes later. He's kind of like a dad on Christmas that's given the smaller presents first. He's waiting for the big one, the red router BB gun at the end. You know what I mean? This is what he's doing. Um, he presents him with nothing absolutely that will work. He says, Adam, what about this one? Lord, that's, that is an ostrich. <laughs> Adam, what about this one? Oh, Lord, that's, that's great. It's a llama. He presents him with absolutely nothing that will work, and then God makes Eve. He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He takes one of those ribs out. He closes the place with flesh, verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God is providing Adam a spouse. God is providing Eve to him. He says, hey, Adam. Adam, what about her? And Adam is thrilled. Adam is so excited that he starts spouting poetry. He says, this at last. Now, he's been waiting for this. He's excited about this. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She's like me, he says. She's like me. Now, ladies, I want you to understand this word helper. It is not a negative word. Okay, when you read that in the book of Genesis, the word helper here is not a negative word. The same Hebrew word that's used here is also used in the Psalms to describe the help that God himself provides. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. God is not inferior to those that he helps, not at all. And our God is not weaker because he helps. The wife here is not lesser. She's not the lesser. She is not second-rate because she helps. Helper does not mean maid. Helper does not mean servant. Helper does not mean, hey, would you go make me a sandwich? It's not what it means, all right? Helper means that you supply what is lacking in him. And some of you have a bigger job than others, okay? Helper means that you supply what is lacking in him. It means that you bring him aid. Okay? Husbands and wives, we are made differently. We have different strengths and we have different weaknesses. And God, what he does is he brings a husband and a wife together to complement each other. To complement each other. To make us better together than we are apart. He brings husband and wife together to make us one. To make us one thing. This is what's so good about marriage. God takes two people, And he makes them one entity. God takes two separate people and he unifies them. He binds them together in the deepest, most intimate human relationship possible. This is God's purpose for marriage according to him. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and this has to happen. There does need to be a shift in allegiance. There has to be a shift in priority for this to work. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother a man and and hold fast to his wife he will unite with her he will leave what was and he will hold fast to her and they shall become one flesh the two will be one now this certainly most certainly means sexual intimacy but it has to mean more than that too marriage is a calling of two people to become one to complement each other to be better together than they were separately it's even more it's not it, it's not simply side by side working together it's certainly some of that but not all of that it's closer than that but by entering into a relational closeness that they stop being two people and they become this one new thing A premarital counseling book that I often use, the author of it says that God's equation for marriage is one plus one equals one. This is what God intends for my marriage, and this is what God intends for your marriage. Intimacy, depth of relationship, unity, commitment to each other, complete trustworthiness, an unbreakable bond. But sometimes, sometimes we know that this is not what our marriages look like. And it may be tonight that you would use a different word or a few different words to describe your marriage, like maybe struggling or dry or uncertain or maybe even broken. All marriages have their rough seasons. And all marriages have their rough patches but some, of course, are more relationally catastrophic than other ones. We do have to admit that. But when that happens, and if it's happening tonight, what, what we need to remember is that marriage itself is not the problem. You see, when our marriages are struggling, and when our marriages are dry, and when our relationship maybe seems just a little bit uncertain, it's not because we're married. You see, marriage is God's idea, Marriage is God's good idea. There is nothing wrong with marriage. If we assume that marriage is the problem, well, then we're going to want to chuck the marriage, right? And we'll say this. We'll say that this marriage isn't working, and and maybe it's not. Maybe things are going south. But the problem is not the fact that you and your spouse are married. Marriage is good. And the f- problem is not the fact that you are married to your spouse. If you're married to your spouse, then God wants you to remain married to your spouse. There is nothing wrong with marriage. Marriage was made to be good. So what, what happens? What's the problem? Well, something else has happened. And if our marriages are going to grow, if our marriages are going to be strengthened, and in some cases, if our marriages are going to be healed... We need to figure out what it is that has happened. God made marriage good, but we broke it. Sin happened. If you would, read with me Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took one of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, well, the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Sin happened. God told this couple that there was one thing. Just one thing that they could not do. God is the creator. He has every right to tell his creation what it should and should not do. And because he is the creator, he knows best. He gave this couple one prohibition. It was back in chapter 2, verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One thing. Okay. One thing that they were not supposed to do. But they are tempted. The tempter comes and he's so cunning. He is so deceptive and good at what he does. And he plants this seed of discontentment in her, in him. And he lies. And he causes them to doubt the very word of God and the goodness of God. And it makes it so easy for them to sin and rebel against God. They sin. They're tempted, and they sin. Eve takes the fruit. She gives some to her husband who is with her, and it is immediately clear that they've made a bad, bad decision. Rebelling against the Creator is not what they thought it would be. Their eyes are open. They realize they're naked. They seek to cover their shame. But the consequences of sin, they never end at shame. Sin always leads to brokenness. Always. Their relationship with God is broken. He comes walking through the garden in the cool of the day looking for them, and they try to hide. They try to hide from the God that made them. They are terrified of him. They are terrified of the God who created them and gave them this command and told them that they would die if they actually ate of this tree. Their relationship with him has been severed. But I want you to notice that this is not the only relationship that has been severed and suffered because of sin. Look at what happens to their marriage so quickly. Look at what happens to their deep, rich, one plus one equals one intimate relationship. God shows up. He starts asking questions. He says, Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of that tree that I told you not to eat of? Verse 12. The man said, The woman well, he throws her under the bus, doesn't he? I mean, goodness, what a guy. The woman who you gave to be with me, and by the way, God, this is your fault too, because you gave her to be with me. She did it. It's her fault. She's the problem. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Well, his tune has changed. What happened to all that bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh stuff, right? Oh, things have shifted. This guy was madly in love not too long ago. And listen, there was never a more perfect romance. There was never a more perfect marriage. These two were literally made for each other, okay? Oh my goodness, the two of them were one more than any couple in the history of this planet have ever been one, but something happened. Something happened. Suddenly he is against her. Suddenly she is disposable, right? Oh goodness, he's turning her in to the most high God who said whoever eats this tree is going to die. She's disposable. Suddenly she's the problem suddenly there is bitterness towards the God that gave her to him and who provided her to him, and the oneness of their marriage is fracturing, and it is beginning to divide. What happened? Well, sin. Sin happened. And sin always leads to brokenness. Sin in marriage always leads to brokenness in marriage, always. You see, marriage is not the problem. Sin. Sin is the problem. I want you to think about it. Sin is all about self. Sin is all about me. Sin is all about getting what I want. It's all about taking care of me. That's exactly what Adam was doing. This is what causes two people to divide. This is what causes two people to move away from each other. Sin causes us to blame each other. Sin causes us to take care of ourselves and pit ourselves against the other person and be unkind to each other and just say awful things, say awful things to each other. Two people cannot be one when they are fighting for themselves. Sin breaks the oneness that God intended. Now, the issue here is that we are all sinners. And sin fractures every marriage relationship in this room. It does. When Laura and I were first married, we were living in Louisville, and we were going to seminary. I don't know if we knew the Browns yet or not. I can't imagine a time in my life when I didn't. I know. (laughs) But uh, she was in the uh, living room watching TV one evening, and I was in one of the rooms studying for school. I was doing some reading. And while I was studying, these black bugs just kept crawling up the wall. And so I'd kill one with a tissue and squish it and go throw it, throw it in the toilet. And then I'd go sit down and read, and then another one would pop up. And so I'd, I'd squish it with a tissue, and I'd go throw the tissue in the toilet. And on and on and on I went. Well, eventually, it got to the point where I needed to flush the toilet. I don't know if you guys have ever flushed a toilet full of tissues. But what happened to me was that bowl just kept on filling up. Just kept on filling, and filling, and filling, and it didn't stop. And as it started to erupt over the sides, and down the sides, and then down into the floor, do you know what the first thought that came to my mind was? The very first thought. Laura! I was mad at her. I don't know why. It is illogical. It makes absolutely no sense. It may have been because I was in distress. There was toilet water in the floor. She was watching TV, and she didn't come to my aid. I don't know. I don't know. But that's what sin does. It sure wasn't my stupid fault that the toilet water was running into the floor, right? Sin takes care of itself. Sin blames somebody else. That's what it does. That's what Adam did. It's the woman's fault. It's all the woman's fault. Sin fractures relationships, especially marriages, at times I am short with my wife. At times I lose my patience with my wife. At times I do not want to help my wife, and I am prideful towards my wife. At times I am just bitter towards her, and I tell you what, I don't even know why. She's asked me, are you mad at me? And I said, I, yeah, but I just don't know why. This is what sin does. Sin leads to brokenness each and every single time. And so you say, well, it's not possible. Then is it a good marriage? We can't do this. We're all sinners. It can't happen. Sin fractures. It's just going to happen. But, but a good marriage can happen. A good marriage is possible. He made marriage to be good. God did. We broke it. But God fixes it. He fixes it. His plan for marriage has not changed. All this stuff about us being one, a man leaving a mom and dad, (laughs) and joining fast to his wife, that hasn't changed. He said all that before sin entered the world. But I tell you what, Jesus quoted this passage in the New Testament after sin entered the world. And the Apostle Paul quoted this passage in the New Testament after sin entered the world. God's desire for our marriages is still that we would be one, that we would be intimately, relationally unified. There is hope. See, what happens here is in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sin, and their sin comes between them and and God, and brokenness enters the world, and brokenness enters their marriage. In the aftermath of all this, what God does is he begins handing out curses. And he tells uh, the serpent in Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel God's going to send somebody to fix all this, all the work, all this work of the serpent. He's going to send somebody to undo the brokenness of sin, to crush, to crush the work of the devil. It is going to be a conflict, and there's going to be casualties on both sides, but a bruise to the heel is, is far less serious than, than getting your head crushed. The promised son of Eve is going to come and undo the work of the serpent, even though it's going to cost him greatly. Now, the good news for us is that you and I know tonight that this son of Eve is also the son of God, the sinless son of God that was sent by the Father to be punished for our sins, to be punished in place of us. God told Adam and Eve that they would die if they sinned. Jesus came and he died in our place, innocently, but he died in our place so that God can forgive those who believe, those who repent of sin and and believe. Jesus fixes our sin problem. He takes care of that. He makes forgiveness possible. He makes cleansing possible. He makes us right with God, but that is not all that he does. Jesus also fixes our marriage problem. The work of Christ does not just stop with you and I being forgiven. He is about more than just forgiving us of our sins. What he also does is make it, he makes it possible for us to be set free from our sins so that we can live a life that is pleasing to God. I want to read you a verse that the Apostle Paul writes from Romans chapter 6. It starts in verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God... That you who were once slaves to sin, slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Jesus has set us free. Jesus has set us free to do good, to not sin, to be faithful in every area of our lives, including our marriage. In Christ, we are free to put our pride to death. In Christ, we are free to bury grudges. In Christ, we are free to forgive and to speak kind words to each other instead of harsh ones and to prioritize our spouse's needs. I want you to understand what I'm saying, though, that Jesus is not a magic pill. It's nothing like that. He is not a quick fix to just make this area of our life better. It's not like that. Faithful Christian marriage is hard work. It is one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's a joy, and I love it. But it is one of the hardest things that I have ever done, that day-in, day-out struggle to abandon sin. That day-in, day-out struggle to abandon pride and selfishness so that I can faithfully relate to my spouse. The day-in, day-out struggle not to think that the whole world revolves around me. I can't do it. And you can't do it apart from knowing Jesus, who's able to forgive us of our sins and free us from our sins that tears our marriages apart. And so here's what we're going to do the rest of this weekend we're going to be really practical the rest of this weekend. We are going to strive for certain things in Christ. We're going to strive for certain, certain things as forgiven children of God who have been set free from these things that are holding our marriages back. Because in Christ, what we're going to do is strive to leave our sin behind, those things that assault our marriages and rip us apart. We're going to seek to leave those things behind. So husbands and wives, what we can do, instead of moving in different directions, we can start moving towards each other, towards the unity and towards the oneness that God intended that day in budapest on the side of the road when i couldn't change that tire i was bailed out by this big burly hungarian guy he rolled up just happened to be passing by huge guy he saw what we needed stopped to assist couldn't understand a lick of what he said okay But he walked up. My wrench was still there on the tire where I hadn't been able to budge anything. And he walked up to it, and he dropped his foot on that thing like a cinder block. And he he knocked the lug nut off. (laughs) And so then he went, and he got all the other lug nuts off, too. He changed the tire for us, and off we went. And my future spouse laughed at me because I couldn't change the tire. Just because we can't do something, it doesn't mean it's impossible. Sometimes we just need somebody stronger than us to come to our rescue and to come to our aid and to do it for us. God is more than able to do the hard work needed to grow and strengthen our marriages. God's Word tells us that. He's able to do it through His Son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you tonight for each and every marriage in this room. And Lord, I don't know all these folks we just met. I I know, God, though, that you have brought them together as husband and wife. And my prayer, Father, is that you would use your word to minister to their relationship over these next few days. Some may be doing great. And God, their relationship may be in a place where they can actually mentor other couples that are struggling. God, some may be in a dry spot tonight. Father, some may have walked in here this evening a bit uncertain about whether or not they were thinking about throwing in the towel. I I don't know. But God, I know that through the blood of your son Jesus and the transforming power of his cross, I know, God, that you are able to transform each and every one of these marriages, my own included, to make it more faithful, to draw husband and wife closer together. And I pray, Father, that you would. I pray that you would do it for our good, But God, I also pray that you would do it for your glory. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.